This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so if you've been with us over recent weeks, you'll know that we're uh, working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we have uh, got to Luke chapter 20 this morning, so if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn please to Luke chapter 20, we're going to read some verses together in a moment, and uh, we're going to split it up as we go, I'll read the first few verses, and then uh, we'll look at that together, and if we have time, we'll read a few more a bit later, we'll uh, see how we get on. So Luke chapter 20 we're in, we're going to read the first, uh, let's go for the first 19 verses together. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they asked. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent his servants, the tenants, they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your presence of your spirit. And we pray now as we spend these moments together in your word that you might be our teacher. Please come and help us understand what we've read. Apply it to our lives by your spirit. That it might build us up, it might challenge us, it might do us good, and it might make us more like Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Identity is a huge subject for people, isn't it? Knowing who you are is really important to us. It's a massive deal. I guess it's one of the reasons that people look into their family trees, isn't it? When I was uh, young, probably in my early teens, uh, my parents were really into genealogy. 
and uh, they started searching out their family tree on, on both sides of our family. Now, when I was in my early teens, which is not that long ago, but it is pre-internet, largely. So you couldn't just sort of Google a name and find out some stuff or go onto a family history website, as you can do these days, so I'm told. But what, what they did is they sort of trawled through record offices and uh, visited different parts of the country. I remember one family holiday to Cornwall, uh, where we spent some of our family holiday trawling around graveyards, uh, looking at gravestones of uh, deceased family members, trying to get another clue to go further back, another generation, that we might find out, oh, who was the parent of so-and-so, or when did they get married, and you know, find out a little bit more, go back a few, uh, a few more years or another generation. Because by finding out something of your family history, you start to find out something of your identity. These days you've, we've got a TV program, haven't we? Who do you think you are? And people look into their family history and find out very some, some strange things very often. Clearly I haven't got any strange people in my family tree. Not that I can tell you about this morning anyway. But as we look back over generations, we often find interesting stories, don't we? But knowing who you are helps to, dis- you help to discover what your identity is. For Jesus... He didn't need to do any research. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was and exactly what his identity was. And no matter how he was challenged, no matter what the religious leaders might throw at him or the teachers of the day might say, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was totally secure in his identity. And he wasn't about to get pushed around by anybody who had an agenda to push. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who you are? And I don't just mean, as in my story, about your family tree, but rather, do you know who you are in God? Do you know who you are in Christ? What your identity is as a son or daughter of the living God? For me, I know who my parents are, and I know that that makes me their son. But I know as well that I'm a son of the living God. Now, being a son of my earthly parents gives me uh, certain rights as a son, certain things that I can do because I'm a son and because they're my parents. But in the same way, friends, because you are a son or daughter of the living God, you know what? That gives you access to your heavenly father. For me, I've got the keys to my parents' home. I've got access to it because I'm a son. But you know what? You're a son or daughter of the living God, if you've decided to follow Jesus and trust in him. And you've got access to your heavenly father. And you don't need keys. It's not that you need to carry around a certain key ring and put it in a certain lot, but rather all you need to do is turn your heart to the Lord. And immediately God looks towards you. In fact, he was waiting for you to do that anyway. (laughs) He was already looking towards you, already waiting for you to incline your heart towards him. Because you're a son. You're a daughter of the living God. I think this is a massive issue for Christians. So often, we don't realise who we really are in Christ. Paul's picture that he brought during worship helps us so much in this because in the picture he shared, there's this little bit of light coming through like a, like a veil or a cloth. And we think, oh, that's it. That's all it is. I can just see a little bit of light there coming from the Lord. But that's good. I've got a bit of light on my hand or on my head. And we can get satisfied with that and not realize there's so much more. 
And I think that's so true of so many Christians. It's been so true of me in much of my Christian life. Being too easily satisfied with what I've seen of the Lord and not pushing in for more. But listen, I'm not satisfied any longer. It's not that I'm ungrateful. Don't misinterpret the two. I'm very grateful what I've seen of Jesus, but I'm not satisfied. I want to see more. Does that describe you? Do you want to see more of the Lord? Being unsatisfied does not mean you're ungrateful and bitter towards God. It means you're very grateful, but you just want to see more. So are you going out to that, that cloth or that veil in, in, the, in the picture we had during worship and trying to push it aside and press through? Because you can. You know what? You can because you are a son or daughter of the living God. That's what your identity is in Jesus if you've believed in him and trusted in him, given your life to him. You can do that. That's what your identity is. You are in Christ. All the resources of heaven at your disposal to say, Lord, would you do this? Can I come to you about this? He's your father. And he loves to give you good things. It's great to sing songs of worship. Talked about God's goodness this morning. He is good. He really is. All the time. God is good. He couldn't be anything other than good. Even if he tried, and he's not about to, he couldn't be anything other than good because that's in his very nature. He is good and he loves to bless you. And you are a son or a daughter of his. So Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he knew by whose authority he was preaching and healing. And so he wasn't going to make it easy on these religious leaders. He asked them a trick question. And when they, are, when they fail to answer it, he doesn't answer theirs. And so he goes on to tell a parable against them. And they realize that he's telling a story against them. They get that. There's a lot of things they didn't get, but they got that. And they realized that he was telling a parable against them. And so very quickly, they're now looking for ways to arrest him, to remove him from the scene, to silence him, to stop him as they see it, causing trouble. And really, this whole chapter of Luke's gospel is about how the religious establishment of the day tried to silence Jesus and to get him off the scene. So we've got chief priests, we've got religious leaders, teachers of the law, ganging up on Jesus now. And in order to keep a close watch on him, now they send spies to keep an eye on him. Clearly they've sussed that Jesus recognises them, that he knows who they are, so they send others to watch and report back. They send spies to keep an eye on what he's saying and what he's teaching. And so we read a little bit about this in, uh, in verse 20. So if you still got your Bibles open... Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 20, verse 20. And we'll read what Luke tells us next. Keeping a close watch on him, the teachers of the law and the, uh, the chief priests sent spies to pretend, who pretended to be honest, but clearly weren't. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what's right, and you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. 
they were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Let's just jump now to the beginning of chapter 21, read a few verses there. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So now the spies are out. Now they're out to test Jesus, to trick him, to try and uh, make him say something in a way that they can get Jesus arrested. And so they ask Jesus a question, whether it's right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. They're saying, is it right to pay taxes to the governments or not? Jesus sees straight through them and he tells them to take out a coin and look at it and see whose inscription is on it. And they say, well, it, well, it's Caesar's, isn't it? And so he's able to answer them in such a way as we've heard. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Jesus sees straight through them. Let's be really clear. This is a question that is full of political undertones. It, they, they, you know, they, they know they're looking for a way to trap Jesus here. And so they they design a question, they come up with a question where they're looking to trap him in such a way they can get him arrested. Should taxes be paid to this foreign occupying power or not, Jesus? What do you think? What would you say to that, Jesus? So they're out to cause trouble. But Luke tells us that his answer silenced them. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus' answer was clear. It was unequivocal and to the point. Give to Caesar, give to the government what is due to the government, and give to God what is God's. So let's take each one in turn. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. What is Caesar's was Jesus' first answer here. So for Jesus' listeners, the meaning is very clear. Give to the government what is due them. Give to the government what is due them. Caesar represents the government, all those in authority. And it means you should give to the government what is rightfully theirs. This is a biblical command to pay your taxes. You can look happy about that if you wish. But what Jesus is saying is give to the government what is rightfully theirs. What is due theirs. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So whilst we might not be a fan of Her Majesty's revenue and inspectors. We talked about tax collectors the other week, didn't we? But we should pay to them what is due them. Now, this has a personal and a corporate application. So personally, what Jesus is saying is pay your taxes. Don't try and avoid it. Don't try and get out of it. What is due, you should pay. Yes, take tax breaks that are offered. Jesus might say, but don't get so deliberately complicated in your personal financial affairs as to deliberately avoid the taxes that are due. You know what? It applies to VAT as well. We've recently had some work done on our home and we had various builders and other tradesmen around to give us quotes for the said work. I have lost track of how many times I've had a conversation uh, with a builder or, or with another tradesman when I'm trying to negotiate the price. Now, I like negotiating. 
I used to work in sales and uh, I was very used to negotiating then. I like negotiating being on the other end of it as well. And so I was not prepared to take the first price that was offered me for any of the work that we had done. So I would ask the question, well, is that really your best price? That does seem quite a lot. That's more than I've really got in the budget. I wasn't really expecting to pay that much. Are you sure you can't do anything better than that? And so the conversation would go on. And how often the answer was, well, and they sort of look round slightly shiftily and say, if you pay me cash, then we can lose the VAT. That will save you some money there. Countless times I've had this conversation in the last, I don't know, last year. And time again, I would say, well, actually, I'm very prepared and happy to pay the VAT. And I'll pay you by check or by a bank transfer. And, uh, you know, I, and I want to pay the VAT. And you get a sort of a quizzical look. It's like, sorry, you said you want to pay the VAT? Well, yes, I believe it's right. I should do. Now, that's your price. What are you going to do about it? And so the conversation would go on. But the natural thing for them was to expect me to say, oh, that's all right. I'll just pay you cash and we'll do a bit of a deal here and we'll lose the VAT. No, no, no. Jesus would say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the VAT man what is the VAT man's. It's part of paying our taxes. It's part of honouring God in a way that we can do by the way we live our lives. Being quoted several prices, one of them for cash only and no VAT, it seems is common practice. It's not unusual. I got some funny looks when I gave a response that I did. But you know what? We honour God in the way we live our lives. And that includes giving to Caesar... What is Caesar's? And even when the amount is quite big and VAT is a considerable percentage. But that's okay, because we're giving to the government what is due them. We're honouring God in the way we live our lives. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. The same is true of what, in reverse, if you like, what you might claim in, in tax allowances or benefits. Claim what's right, but don't claim what isn't. And don't try and beat the system. Now, as well as having a personal application, it also has a corporate application, doesn't it? Now, our newspapers are full of corporate tax avoidance stories at the moment, aren't they? Whether it's Google or Amazon or Starbucks or many others that I could name. I have nothing against any of those three. But there are many great multinational corporations who are uh, being investigated for fairly sizable tax avoidance. Jesus would say the same thing to them as well. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay to the government what is due them. Corporate as well as personal tax avoidance is wrong. It's sinful. So we need to honour God in the way that we live our lives. Jesus calls us to do that. To live our lives in such a way that God might be pleased with how we might honour him. We've got a responsibility to play our part in the society that God has put us in. And part of that is honouring the government, paying what's due. And not only paying what's due, but praying for them as well. Praying that God will bless them. I think there's a, there's a provocation here for us to pray for the government, that they might know God's wisdom. Whatever government is in power of whatever political persuasion, let me tell you one thing. They need God's wisdom. They really do. Those who serve as local councillors need God's wisdom. We would do well to pray for them and support them in the very difficult job that they do. Paul says this to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 2, 
verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might live, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. We should pay what's due and pray for those to whom it's due. But Jesus doesn't finish there. He doesn't just say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He goes on and says, give to God what is God's. Now, they weren't asking the question about this, but Jesus answers it anyway. And he continues the conversation with them about giving to God. Now, before we go any further, it's worth saying we don't often talk about giving to God. We do certainly talk about it when we hit the subject in Scripture, and it so happens we've hit it a couple of weeks running. And as I was preparing, I was thinking, oh, that's not good to, to talk about it two weeks running, is it? Can I do that? So part of me almost wants to apologise about it. But you know what? I'm not going to apologise about preaching the Bible. We believe this is God's word to us. This is true. It does us good. And so it so happens that we've, we hit the subject over a couple of weeks. That's just how it is. But we might not come back to it for a while. It's not like a favourite subject and we're always on about it. But we do need to, when the Bible addresses these issues, to be true to it and not to steer away from it. I realise it's often a, a controversial, controversial subject and can hit a raw nerve sometimes. And I'm aware of that. But listen, I want to be faithful to what the Bible says. And we want to be true as a church to what the Bible teaches us. Amen? Spurgeon said this, he said, Defend the Bible, I would as soon defend a lion. Unchain it and it will defend itself. So let's unchain the Bible and let it defend itself. Now you could read a passage like this in, in Luke and we could, we could think that actually giving to God is like a tax. That it's like something we have to pay, like our income tax or, or VAT. But it's not. Jesus does say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So what is God's then? What is his? Well, time and again, the Bible talks about giving to God. In the Old Testament, the people of God gave 10% of their income to him. We first find that principle some six or 700 years before even the law was given to Moses. As Abraham comes across this mysterious character we don't know much about, but we know was a priest of God by the name of Melchizedek. And he gives him a tenth of everything. Even in the New Testament we find it referring to giving and it seems that again takes this tithing principle as a sort of starting point and then talks about um, giving to God in a way that's joyful, in a way that's generous. And the New Testament builds on that foundation. So what we come back to right throughout Scripture is that giving to God should be joyful and generous. So let me ask you a question. Are you giving to him? Are you giving to God? And is it joyful? And is it generous? Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Are you a cheerful giver? God wants you to be happy about your giving. You may not be terribly happy about your VAT bill or your income tax that you pay, 
But God does call us very clearly to be cheerful in the way that we give to God. To be generous to him and to be cheerful in it. So let me ask you, are you cheerful in your giving? How do you tell? Well, let me give you some suggestions. If you resent your giving, then chances are you're not being cheerful about it. If you look at the amount and start thinking of all the other things that you could do with it, then chances are you're not being cheerful about it. If you decided on a certain percentage and think, well, I'm giving that right down to the last penny, but not a penny more, chances are you're not being cheerful about it. But Jesus calls us to be cheerful with our giving and, uh, and generous as well. I think I've quoted C.S. Lewis on this subject before. And uh, so forgive me for doing so again, but listen, it's such a good quote. He says this about giving. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. Wow. (laughs) It's a challenging quote, isn't it? In the way that only C.S. Lewis could put it. So the Bible encourages us to give, seeing everything belonging to God to start with anyway. The psalmist puts it like this, Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And as we give a proportion back to the Lord, we're saying, Lord, you own it anyway. It's all yours. But in giving a proportion back to him, we're saying, Lord, use this and use the rest of it as well. It's like the part represents the whole. As we give something to the Lord, it's a representation of wanting to give everything in our whole selves to him. We're saying, Jesus, it's yours anyway. Luke adds a sort of postscript to this, which we'll look at just briefly before we finish. At the beginning of chapter 21. And as he looks up, Jesus sees the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury and then sees a poor widow putting in her offering too. Now what this woman gave was small, was tiny in monetary value. But Jesus says that she gave more because she gave out of her poverty, whereas the rich gave out of their riches. You know, I've said before, talking about this subject, that for some of you here, giving £10 is more costly than for others giving 100 or more. Because it's a proportional thing. Jesus doesn't so much look at the amount, but looks at your heart. Giving is a representation of your heart, what God is doing inside you. It's part of our worship to the Lord. He looks at your heart. Is it sacrificial? Is it generous? Is it full of joy? That's what Jesus is looking for, friends. Joy in giving partly comes from a result of being filled with his spirit. Knowing the joy that Jesus has put inside us. Knowing what it is to be a child of the, of the living God. Knowing our identity in him. And being so full of his spirit that we, we love to give. We love to be generous and enthusiastic and joyful in it. 
And as we receive his spirit afresh, he helps us with that. Maybe if this is an area you've struggled with and you're thinking, well, it's fine in theory, but it is hard. And, I've, I've, and if you're honest, you'd say, Graham, I've struggled with it. It's hard. I want to encourage you this morning, receive his spirit. Receive his spirit. Allow Jesus to help you. Allow him to come to you by his spirit and to help you to be generous, to help you to be joyful in your giving. If God has blessed you with much, then you're responsible for much and he would encourage you to steward it well. But we need to remember it's not really ours anyway, is it? It all belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. It's all his anyway. We're just looking after it for a season, for a little while. So, has God got your heart? Has he got your heart? Giving is part of worship. It's a heart issue. For this widow here in Luke 21, we're told that she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. If the rich were going to put in all they had to live on, that would have been a whole load of money. (laughs) But Jesus wasn't looking at the amount. He was looking at the heart. So has the Lord got your heart? Has Jesus got your heart in this? Are you joyful in it? You can imagine, can't you, the rich making a big song and dance about their giving here, rather like others made a big song and dance about their praying in elaborate ways that really showed themselves off to others more than came to the Lord. Whereas this widow comes along and just puts in a couple of very small copper coins, everything she had to live on. But Jesus sees her heart and commends her for it. Our giving should be done quietly, privately, generously and cheerfully. I've said before, and if you haven't heard me say this, then you can hear it now. I don't know what people give here in Jubilee. I only know what we give. So I trust I can say these things without anybody thinking, oh, they're getting at me. Because I don't know. I don't have that information. But I do know this. The Bible calls us to be generous, to be cheerful, to be enthusiastic, to be regular with it, for it to be proportional. So what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you? It does mean that for each of us, our giving will be different because it reflects our circumstances and what God has given us, what we have to steward. That's okay. God looks at our heart. So how's your heart doing in this? We need to get before God and say, Lord, what would you have me give? What is it that I should be giving? I want to encourage you, if you haven't prayed that prayer recently, then pray the prayer. Ask God, come to him and say, Lord, what is it? that you have for me? What is it you want me to give? Come to him and ask him. Allow him to speak into your heart and see what he says to you. In Matthew chapter 6, as we close, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? I want to encourage you this morning. Know who you are. Give generously and joyfully.
and store up treasure in heaven. Let's stand and I'm going to pray as we close. If the band can come back, please. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these accounts we have in the Gospel of Luke here. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were not uh, afraid to tackle controversial subjects. You knew exactly who you were and what your identity was. And you weren't afraid to tackle things head on and to challenge and to encourage and bless where appropriate as well. And so, Lord, we've read these verses this morning. We've spent a few moments looking at them together. We've opened up your word and we say, Holy Spirit, please, in these moments now, would you come and apply it to our lives? Lord, the application will be different for each of us. But Holy Spirit, I want to pray now in these moments of quiet that you would whisper into our hearts what it is that you would have us do different out of this morning what our response should be to you what is it that we need to bring you what is it that we need to ask you to help us with what it is that we maybe need to receive fresh grace for by your spirit lord in these moments i pray that you would speak holy spirit come and touch our hearts lord come and encourage and bless where that's what we need (laughs) Come and challenge and provoke where that's what we need. And Lord, for all of us, make us more like you, please. We want our lives to honour you. We want to live in a way that demonstrates our love and devotion to you. Lord, will that be in every area of our lives, including all those that we've looked at this morning? Lord Jesus, help us to receive your spirit afresh that we might know the joy that comes from knowing you, evident in the way that we give to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our time together by worshipping the Lord. And uh, maybe if you'd like to receive prayer on anything we've talked about this morning, then we'd love to pray with you. Maybe that actually you feel you need to receive the Spirit afresh need to know more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Louise felt that during worship and I said, I think it fits in here, you know. We'd love to pray with you about that if you need to know, you feel you want to know more of this Holy Spirit in your life to press in to know more of Jesus. And maybe through knowing the joy that comes from him to be released in your giving as well, that you might know joy in giving to the Lord. Or maybe if you want to receive prayer to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to surrender everything to him then we'd love to pray with you this morning so let's let's worship the Lord we haven't got long now so if you'd like us to pray with you then just make your way down to the front as we sing and others can come and gather around and pray let's worship the Lord together thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast feel free to check out our website at 